That Did Not Age Well and The Battle Between Generations, an essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. Well, that did not age well. Yeah, that's how time works. You know what else won't age well? Everything, including you. Yeah, you will become problematic too. Your body will get sick and die. Cringe, you say. I know, but it's true. One day people will look at you and go, well, that did not age well. Chronology is a cruel mistress, just like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. I'm not going to be ignored! In fact, aging well is an oxymoron. The past should seem awful. I watched Animal House the other night, and literally 80% of the movie would get its makers canceled today. Also, it was hilarious. So should streamers take it down for questionable content or whatever? Nah. Applying the morality of today to the behavior of yesterday is a fool's game. To those who believe they're constantly behaving in an ethically pure way, good luck with that. The future will frown upon all of us. The future is judgmental like that. Blame the moral arc of the universe, I guess. But don't feel bad about it. The past should seem awful. That's what it feels like to make progress. Of course, that doesn't stop the outrage brigade. Given the number of people on high horses these days, I'm surprised there are any saddles left. The silliest signaling is people dunking on how others behaved in the past. We love condemning John Wayne, the Founding Fathers, Genghis Khan. Okay, look, Genghis deserves it. But it takes a lot of moral hubris to judge people from decades or even centuries ago. It's like getting mad at a seed for not being a tree. Trust me, one day your great-grandkids will think you're a monster. Why? Well, because you ate meat or did nothing about climate change, or bought clothes made in sweatshops, or put your baby in that ridiculous ACDC onesie, or watched every season of Love is Blind, or flew water over from Fiji and then dumped the plastic bottles into a swirling pile in the Pacific. And look, I could go on, but I think you get the message. Oddly, it seems like the two industries thriving most right now are gambling and weed. Seemingly overnight, every podcast is sponsored by a sports betting site, and every block in New York City has a dispensary called Hemp's or MedMen or Vape Daddy. It's tough to believe this combo is how our empire is supposed to sustain. Well, how did America return to glory? Well, we ate 50 milligram gummies all day and took the Grizzlies minus three and a half against the Pelicans. In a way, I admire it. We've given up on building anything, and now we're just numbing ourselves as we slowly decline into irrelevance. I mean, fingers crossed the Chinese take us out before the bots and wildfires do. Maybe they'll even give us a last meal with a fortune cookie at the end. After all, stoners love those, and fortunes come with lottery numbers, so perfect fit. The gambling thing shouldn't be a surprise, though. Tech has us all playing the lottery now. Making it as an influencer is the lottery. Finding your soulmate on Hinge is the lottery. The VC startup model is the lottery. We all see the winners and think, that could be me. And that's how they get the losers to keep buying more tickets. The weird thing about weed and gambling as saviors is how much they used to be considered immoral and dangerous. Now they're our last hopes? It's like finding out they replaced the Pledge of Allegiance with Judas Priest lyrics. Now you kids won't believe this, but when I was young... Sports betting was sinful. Pluto was a planet. Marijuana was a dangerous gateway drug. Conservatives were the only ones censoring speech. 
no one was allergic to peanuts, love bombing was referred to as flirting, and Joe Rogan hosted a show where people ate maggots. Feels like a different planet now, and I can only imagine what it's like for those older than me. For them, things like door-to-door salesmen and hitchhiking were normal. If you tried either of those things today, you'd wind up dead within a week. It's no wonder old folks are confused about pronouns, Latinx, gender identity, and whether or not to say queer. If the correct way to speak always seems obvious to you, congrats for being part of the moral vanguard. But also, recognize how much of this is actually generational warfare in disguise. We keep inventing new terms and then get furious at old people for not keeping up. That's youth egocentrism. See, we've brought fashion to words. The chic go to the linguistic runways of Paris, I mean, liberal arts colleges, to learn the new couture, and then they return home to mock the flyover state dolts who buy boxers at Kohl's for their inability to stay en vogue. Out, fashion do's and don'ts. In, language do's and don'ts. But old folks grew up in a black and white world. Back then, coffee was either decaf or regular. That's it. So of course they're struggling to adjust to a landscape filled with soy, mocha, almond, flat white frappuccinos. Even the not-so-distant past feels like a fairy tale. Young people today have no idea how popular dustbusters were in the 80s. It was like a vacuuming revolution. And rowing machines were everywhere. Jazzercise, too. We kind of lost our minds there for a minute. Also, nothing was filmed. Not doorbells, street corners, nannies, wildlife, or anything else. Oh, and we had landlines without caller ID. So we picked up the phone with no clue who was on the other end. It could be your sister's friend, your dad's coworker, or a telemarketer. I know, sheer chaos. But also, it was the old school version of intermittent variable rewards. Every incoming call felt like a slot machine spit. Anyway, kids, what I'm trying to say, they are not from where you are from. Now, that said, old folks need to calm down, too. Stop getting outraged about pronouns, Mr. Potato Head, or whatever else Ron DeSantis is prattling on about this week. Your brainstem is being fracked in order to sell you crappy pillows. Old folks, you need to give kids bandwidth to get aggro over the correct words or acronyms to use. After all, it's the only power they have. They live with their parents, can't buy a house, aren't getting laid, are ruled over by senile politicians, and face a future filled with mass shootings, wildfire smoke, and climate refugees. Let them have this. If you're over 50, you've got something these youngsters will never have. The deed to a house. So just cash your social security checks, another thing they'll never see, and go along with them saying fluid or vulva owners. Honestly, It's the least you can do after all that you've done. Compassion, empathy, and forgiveness. Those are the things technology keeps strangling out of us. Want to fight back? Here's a good start. View chronology more like geography. Think of time as a place and be gentle with those from different lands. However old you are, try to judge those from other generations like one of those lost tribes from the Amazon. You don't have to understand their ways, just try to respect them and realize they're doing the best they can considering the jungle they came from.
And now let's bring in producer Jeremiah McVeigh. Hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Matt. So I have to admit that when I started reading this one, I thought, here we go again. <laughs> Woke this, cancel that. But I did end up mainly agreeing with where you landed. And it, it kind of came down to a saying that I find to be a useful mantra in life in terms of like producing uh, art and releasing art and, or media even. Just the idea of if you don't look back at the work you made five years ago and find yourself a little embarrassed, you're probably not improving. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it seems like what you're describing is sort of that writ large, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. So like I said, I, I ended up where you ended up by the end of it. I, and I appreciated the the call for compassion and forgiveness and understanding and just giving each other space for figuring stuff out. You know, I think that makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like if I want some crux of this piece is that we are pretending like there's a battle between morality and immorality. And I think many times that's like a mask for an actual like generational battle. Like mm-hmm. really we're like attacking old people for not being able to keep up with like what young people are viewing as reality, which is an eternal sort of thing. But I think, you know, right now the the way we can all be amplified has turned sort of the reality, which is like, old people are from a different place than young people. And instead we've transitioned it into, you know, they're bad and we're good. And I right. feel like that's such a dangerous sort of mentality to get into that I think is, was a big driving force in wanting to, you know, write this essay. Right. Well, I wanted to bring up a couple of things and get your perspective on them after this essay. So as I was first reading the essay and then hearing you just now, I thought of, and this is because like I'm, as I think I've brought up on the show and I know you know, I'm into movies. I do another podcast that really focuses on classic movies. So it's something that's come up there. Plug it, plug it. What's the, what's the podcast name? Stereoactive Movie Club. It's produced by Stereoactive Media, just like this show. Nice. But um, anyway, we, we've discussed on that show, Gone with the Wind and Birth mm-hmm. of a Nation, not specifically, but as examples in other conversations, because they're movies that get, get tagged for being racist and having an outsized influence over the culture and kind of in a bad way, you sure. know? Um, and, you know, there was a whole debate a couple years ago when Turner Classic Movies started putting a message in front of Gone with the Wind, basically saying, hey, guys, there's stuff in this movie that ain't so great these days with with, uh, with hindsight. And uh, just keep that in mind as you watch the movie. So, like, I... I appreciated that. I thought it was a good way of saying like, there's still artistic merit somewhere in here. But yeah, maybe we shouldn't have all like thought that the lost cause was a good thing. And this <laughs> this story as a book and a movie helped to uh, perpetuate that in a big way. Um, you know, and, and it's a little more like blatant, I think, with Birth of a Nation, which is a movie that I think when it came out, people were like, this shit is racist. <laughs> and uh, D.W. Griffith ended up basically trying to overcome that and make amends for that for the rest of his career, I think. But um, anyway, I I bring those up just because like, I do think that sometimes people get hung up on, you know, we've talked about like art versus artist and stuff like that. But I do think sometimes like art can make a difference and people can make a difference and language can make a difference uh, from the past. And it's good to like, recognize and be like, let's be done with this. 
What do you think of that? So sorry if that was a long-winded way of getting to it, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for context and for like explaining, you know, where something came from and why it is the way that it is and, you know, to like give people like some sort of framework for how to how to judge something. Um, and also like no one should have to watch something they don't want to watch. Like I get that. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like just sort of like removing something or pretending it didn't exist uh, to me starts getting into dangerous territory in part because of uh, like to zoom out this idea that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice is a prediction on what the future will be, that things will get better as we move forward. So inevitably, the flip side of that is that things will look worse in the past. So Mm -hmm. as we get better, everything in the past will seem worse. So eventually, we need to start grading with a cur- on a curve or adjusting our expectation level or realizing this is like a natural progression. And instead of constantly attacking the past for not being the present, maybe we can celebrate the fact that we keep getting better and that, you know, things are moving in the right direction as a, and that, you know, seeing where we were can be an important part of recognizing that progress. Because I think sometimes we get so hung up on attacking ourselves for who we were that that prevents mm. us from celebrating victories or like, you know, pointing out the things that have gone well or, or we have done right and being like more of this. Because, you know, it's the same as in any relationship or parenting or anything else. If all you're ever doing is pointing out the flaws of someone else and never championing the success, like it's going to be a difficult thing to sustain that relationship or for that person or whoever we're talking about in this you know situation to feel good about themselves. My issue, anytime I hear the phrase, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, is that it describes a passive mode. It's, it, mm. it seems to say that things will get there eventually on their own when it should be an active mode that's that's described so i always think like the the better phrase would be well yeah but somebody has to bend it um somebody has to help bend it you know and so i guess i i see things like that gone with the wind thing for example as like an attempt at that of saying yeah we're we're still going to watch gone with the wind or have it available to watch but we're just putting a message in front of it that says you know here's the cultural consequences of of this at the time and now how it fits into our culture now versus then. And I, if you've, I don't know if you happen to have seen that, but I thought it was a very thoughtful thing. And then of course the people who were yelling about it probably never watched the clip and whatever, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think your point uh, about the moral arc of the universe in that phrase is well taken. I think, for me, probably like the framework I view it in is like uh, an examination of the past. Of mm-hmm. If you had a chart, if you had a graphic that was, tr- you know, uh, an infographic of morality and how it's uh, increased or decreased over time, I think you would see a lot of fluctuation in the near term of things going up and down. But over the long term, I would argue you see us becoming more and more civilized if you want to view things yeah. in terms of slavery or, you know, so many other issues that like overall we are getting better and more civilized. And as a society, there's something worth recognizing about that in a way of yeah, yeah. Uh, retaining hope and optimism, even within the face of oftentimes in the present moment, what can feel like insurmountable odds. So I, I think that's a, a prism that I, I see it through. And then just to on the other point that you were making there, I think a lot of times what I go back to is intention. 
So mm-hmm. is this great film, is it being produced as uh, Nazi propaganda? Because then we need to judge it in one way. Is someone actually just trying to make great art and you know misfired or through the prism of time? Now it, it doesn't seem like it's on point with how we view things now. To me, that gets judged in a totally different way. So Birth of a Nation versus Animal House, I might view those things in two totally different ways. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Animal yeah. House is just trying to get laughs. You watch it now and you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe this scene ever existed. And it's scene after scene after scene like that, right. where you're like, this is no way this would ever be made today. But they're trying for laughs. I don't think they're trying to make some sort of racist or sexist, you know, uh, you know, piece of work that, you know, all those people in the tribe can be like, we want to hate the other, you know, they're trying to make people laugh. And so, and it's, I go back to intention, especially with so many like of these debates about stand up comedy and what people are saying, and they'll take a pull quote and then put it in some, some uh, piece that runs online. And I'm always like, okay, wait, did this person say this in front of a brick wall at a comedy club in order to get laughs? Or did they say it in front of a burning cross at a Klan rally in order to incite hate? Because I'm going right. to judge these words in a completely different way, depending on the context uh, in which it was delivered and what the intention of the person saying it was. And when we take context uh, and intention completely out of the equation, I think we're just kind of being silly and childish about stuff. Oh, I I agree. Context matters. A- again, I think that's why in the Gone with the Wind example, like adding that context that I think was missing originally because there was this propagation of the lost cause narrative that had sort of taken root of as this romantic ideal that was bullshit in and of itself. Um, I think it's important to point that out. And I, again, appreciated that thing, not to keep harping on it. But yeah, and again, like on the moral arc of the universe thing, like like I said, I just think it's, uh, I think the prison that you keep explaining still has that passive voice to it, where I would say like, just recognizing like the people have to help it there. Those spikes you're talking about, I think, are because someone did something, which I'm not saying you're not, don't, don't believe I just think it's important to point out, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. And I, uh, this could be a sneak peek of a future episode because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. But um, mm-hmm. the need for us to sustain two voices is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And like, uh, it's something I've, you know, we've all kind of considered in some way, but like there's a Seinfeld quote where he crystallized it. Um, and it's from the Tim Ferriss podcast where he talks about how you need to have two voices when you're trying to, he's talking about creating standup, but I think you could apply this to any art. One mm-hmm. that's very, uh, like a drill sergeant basically. That's like being like, that's not good enough. You need to get better. You need to try harder. You need to work more and just sort of berating yourself. And at the same time, you also need a very nurturing kind voice that's congratulating you for the effort that you have made and being like that was mm-hmm. a good try and even if it's not perfect you're you're getting closer than where you were before and that the trick is to kind of sustain both those voices within you at the same time and i kind of feel like that's a beautiful message not just for an artist but also for people and for society this idea that like we should be mad that we're not better but we should also be compassionate with ourselves for how much we have made progress and like that we can do both those things at the same time. We can, you know, yeah. chew, chew gum and rub our stomach or whatever the phrase is, but like that there's something, uh, uh, inspirational or noteworthy or commendable about trying to sustain both those voices within your head, as opposed to being like, it has to be all one or the other. Mm-hmm. 
And now for some quickies. The reason us Jews say seltzer instead of club soda is because so many clubs wouldn't let us in. A lot of people keep their partner for the same reason they keep their therapist. They just can't stomach having to tell all that crap to a new person again. The other night, my taxi driver got onto the Manhattan Bridge, saw traffic way backed up, and drove in reverse for 300 yards through traffic in order to get us off the bridge. It was kind of crazy, but at the end of the ride, I literally said this line from Top Gun to him. Gutsiest move I ever saw. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. 